The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Newton Group Transfer. They are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. These stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up. Or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right. It's unjust. And Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE or go to timesharejesse.com. Newton Group Transfer. They will help you out. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine you left your friends on a deserted island. 
Deserted's a strong way to put it. They're not in civilization. They're with a bunch of Indian tribes. Indian tribes, you were getting along with real well when you left. And you were heading back to check on your friends. It's been a long time. It's been a year. And you sail around the corner, heading over to the fort you left. And you see it smoking in the distance. What goes through your head at that moment? What kind of ominous dread do you feel? And like we talked about yesterday with the Columbus story that we're obviously continuing today. It's the mystery of it, right? What am I going to find? We'll get back to that. Where we left off yesterday, I am not recapping everything. If you want the first part of our very rare two-part episode, I'll hardly ever do that. I rarely do a two-part history thing. I just don't like it, but there's so much here. To be frank, I'm not 100% sure I'm going to finish everything today, depending on how distracted I get. (laughs) But if you want the first part of this little Christopher Columbus 30,000-foot view recap we're doing, you're going to have to go back to yesterday. I'm not recapping it. There's too much to get to and too many news stories, actually, today. Believe it or not. I'm going to address some political news. I know this is wild. I don't want to step out of the norm here, Chris. We have... We have listener emails. We have new podcast reviews. We have all kinds of stuff. So if you want the Christopher Columbus recap, you got to go find it yourself. I'm not doing that. He has three ships now. The Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. Remember the Santa Maria was the biggest? The Pinta didn't want to be there. They were forced to be there. King and queen. Hey, Pinta and your crew, guess where you're going? West. No, I realize we don't know what's west. Yeah, that sucks. Anyway, you're still going west. Good luck. And they set off. There's, there are a million, billion different things written about Columbus. And people have gotten to the point, this is what happens with popular historical figures or popular history stories. You feel the need to write something, or maybe you, maybe that's how you make your living is writing something. Remember, lots of what you see out there now when it comes to political writing, just any writing period, the writer doesn't write whenever the writer feels like writing most of the time. The writer writes for a living. You have a quota. I'm grateful I don't have a job like that because I hate writing, but if you're, you know, a columnist for one of these big conservative publications or any big news outlet, but you don't just, I don't feel like it this week. There's just nothing I'm passionate about. Check back with me next week. No, you have to write something. And that's part of the problem. History suffers through the same thing. 
How many people have written something about Christopher Columbus? How many books? If I would, I haven't done this, but if I were to look on Amazon.com right now for Christopher Columbus books, how many would I find before I ran out? Exactly. A lot. So they feel the need to offer oftentimes an alternate view of what was what happened. Because there's nothing new to write, right? It's the story of Christopher Columbus. We know what happened. So much of it was written down. We have we have written things. We have testimony. We have we have overwhelming amounts of evidence on it. <laughs> Chris said there's over one thousand, <laughs> over one thousand books. Exactly, with over a thousand books written on it. You're a professor or a writer, and you're specializing in that period, and maybe you need a little extra cheddar cheese. Maybe your contract said you have to write a book. Okay, Professor Chris, you have to write a Christopher Columbus book. What do you write that hasn't been written? It's all been written. The story hasn't changed in, oh, 500 years, give or take. So they start to change the history of it to offer a new perspective. They're just trying to sell books. And then that catches on, and then that gets that gets taught in schools. One of the things I've heard so much about Columbus, which is blatantly false, if you actually read a lot on it, is that Columbus didn't really realize that this was going to end up being so big. That is completely wrong. He knew this was gigantic. He knew taking three ships... Sailing them into the unknown West was a humongous risk and potentially a humongous reward. He knew for a fact this was feast or famine, baby, big time. I'm going to be a god of history or I'm going to die ugly in a month or two. He knew that for a fact. They point West, they sail off. Columbus is watching now. Now, when you're on these ships, you're in the middle of the ocean, you have to constantly measure how far you've gone. And what you're measuring for is not where you're going. You would be doing that if you had a destination, if you're Christopher Columbus. But since you have no idea how far you have to go, you can't do that. What you're doing if you're Christopher Columbus is measuring how far you've gone against the rations you have because at some point in time you reach the point of no return and you either have to turn back around today or we'll starve to death before we get back to Spain or we sally forth. And there is no point in turning around after that. They're out there for a while. They keep going. The point of no return gets there. They keep going. The crew of these ships, understandably apprehensive right now and start to get restless. And we need to talk about this for a moment because this is going to come back into play time and time and time and time again today. chooses to be on a ship 
like this back then? I mean, ships today? Why do you think it is you hear the word mutiny so much when it comes to history, when it comes to sailing boats? Why do you think that is? You undoubtedly, there's a 100% chance you know what a mutiny is. Why? Have you been on some boat? Have you spent a lot of time on a boat? Probably not. So why do you know what a mutiny is? Because it happened all the time. Why did it happen all the time? There's a couple reasons for that. Hang on. I'll tell you what they are. Home title lock can save you from being evicted from your home. That is not hyperbole. That's reality. I'm staring at a quote from a lady named Deborah who was evicted from her home. She's not the only one. You see, what happens is these cyber thieves, they go online, they steal your home title. Once they get a hold of it, they forge your signature on it, take a loan out against it, and you have to pay that loan back. I can't stress that enough. There's no home insurance company that's going to come to your rescue. That's your loan now. And if you don't, and oftentimes you won't because you'll be getting these letters and you'll think, well, this is ridiculous. This must be a mistake. If you don't pay it back, you're gone. Don't risk that. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Register your address. See if you're already a victim while you're there. Use the code JESSE. Get 30 free days. Jesse Kelly returns next. Why do you know what a mutiny is? Why does it happen so often you know what it is? One, everything on the ocean, especially back then, but my goodness, even still today, it's not as if it's a safe, cuddly place. Everything back on the ocean, when you're on a sailboat back then, everything is life and death. The captain makes life and death decisions all the time. And if you have a weaker captain, if you have a subversive crew member or two, it doesn't take much to convince people you're going to die unless you mutiny. That's why the punishments for mutiny are so severe, it takes a lot to try to scare somebody out of doing one. That's one. The second reason, and this is the part that's going to come into play a lot today. Who goes on a ship like this? I'm undoubtedly going to offend a lot of people with some generalizations I make today. Let me just say before I go into that, if you get offended, I don't care. 
I am not interested at all. Buck up, Buttercup. Don't care. The type of man who hops on a sailing ship and points it west for a life of grinding work, endless danger, is the type of man who's going to be difficult to rule over. I'm not insulting that man either. He's going to be very good at some things and very bad at other things. Do you think an order following family man who dodes on his wife and kids and the kind of guy you'd want teaching your Sunday school class Do you think that's the type of person who volunteers to hop on a Spanish ship and sail off the end of the world? It's not. And I'm not insulting the family man, and I'm not insulting the sailor. That's a difficult man to control. That's a man who has chosen, maybe God made him that way, maybe his parents made him that way, maybe a mixture of both. That's a man who has chosen a life of danger, on purpose. And there's something else. Remember I talked about the grinding work? There's a good chance on a sailing vessel, there's a good chance you're going to have some real idiots and some criminals on there. Because life is so hard, You're not often getting the cream of the crop in society. Now, lots of times the captains were. The officers on the ships were. They're paid well, high rewards in the end. But what 25, 30-year-old man is going to volunteer for that kind of risk and that kind of hardship? Oftentimes, a man without better options. Period. No different than the crappy jobs Out there today, I went to Taco Bell last night. Full disclosure, I went to Taco Bell after I got done doing my TV show. Did radio, TV, went to Taco Bell, placed the simplest order in the history of mankind, got home, and it was all wrong. All of it. And I was obviously mad because it was dinner time, but not that mad and didn't hang on to it that long. Why? Who do you think works at Taco Bell? People without better options. Either a young person in their first job, or if not a young person, someone else who, for whatever reason, doesn't have better options. Again, if that's offensive to you, I don't care. That's a fact. That's what you're getting on these ships. Therefore, as you're going to see throughout the rest of our tale today... They can be difficult men to keep a handle on. They can be cruel. It's a cruel life. Cruel lives oftentimes produce cruel people. Keep that in mind. The crew is getting unruly. However, Columbus was a bit of a firm captain, and boy, is that putting it nicely. He wasn't a vicious, hideous tyrant of a captain, but he wasn't soft. He was hard on his men, and you had to be. 
And on and on they went. And finally, and this will this will give you a, a brief window into why Columbus ended up having so many of the problems he had. You know I'm a Columbus fan. You know I admire the bravery. But understand this, we are going to talk about some of the ugly stuff today because I don't believe in sugarcoating any of it. I don't do white guilt history, but I don't do apologize for this or that history. I just tell you what happened and what I can understand and what I can't. Little things like I'm about to tell you, they matter a lot. Columbus... Before he set out, you remember he had this big deal with the crown, with the royalty of Spain. They were going to give him everything. Admiral of the seas, one-eighth of everything. It was, he had a long list of stuff. So over the top, they initially rejected it. But they eventually bowed to it. Another thing they agreed to was, as like a little bonus, whoever the person is, no matter their rank, whoever the person is on one of these vessels who spots land first will have a pension for life. Think of that opportunity when you're living the hard life of a sailor, 20, 25, 30 years old. Obviously, life hasn't been that great for the most part. A pension for life? Christopher Columbus, as the story goes sees a light at 2 a.m. one night out in the distance. Looks almost like a candlelight. Now, in his defense, he calls a couple guys up there to confirm what he's looking at. One of them does, one of them doesn't. The next day, one of the normal average dudes spots land. Land ho! I'm sure that's not what he said. I'm sure they were speaking Spanish or Portuguese or whatever. But Spotsland calls it out. Now, just skipping forward a little bit here. Columbus laid claim to that lifetime pension instead of letting one of his guys have it. Brother, even if you were the one who saw it first, You're the leader. You let your guy have that, and that spreads throughout the crew. Reward the people under you for their hard work, and they will continue to reward you. Screw them over for your own benefit every chance you get, as Columbus often did. You end up with problems, lots of them, as Columbus often did. The story of Christopher Columbus is one of an absurdly talented, brave human being willing to risk it all in a man completely incapable of maintaining it all once he got it. Anyway, back to that. They see land. They land on land, and Christopher Columbus thinks he's in China or Japan. That is not a twisted up view of history. Columbus would die still thinking he's landed in Asia. They really didn't know how big the world was back then. Hang on.
sleeping well every single night changes everything. It changes everything. I can't describe how much better I feel now, now that I'm off the cycle. And you know what I mean when I say the cycle, not sleeping one night, then not sleeping the next night, then not sleeping the next night. And finally, when your body's about to shut down, you grab a sleeping pill and you pop it and you sleep 19 hours. You wake up, you feel better than you did the day before, but not okay. And then you're back to another two or three. Stop that. Go get an ebb sleep and get real sleep without a special pill Without a special pillow, natural sleep, it's a wearable device. It applies cooling to your head, calming your thoughts, and giving you real sleep. Tryeb.com slash jesse. That's tryebb.com slash jesse. Use the promo code jesse at checkout. 25 bucks off. Columbus lands. This has to be. I wish I could have seen it. I'll put it to you this way. I wish I could have seen the look of excitement on everyone's face when they even see land, let alone get to it. Forgetting about the fact they thought they'd landed on China or Japan. You're alive. Remember, they were in the middle of ocean. You're alive and you're standing on land. And clearly, it's, it's, you know, clearly, you know, you're going to have water and food. This is good. This is a moment I wish I could have seen. Talk about what naked joy looks like. Speaking of naked, the Indians come on out. Contrary to popular belief, this could not have gone better at first. We will get to the rest later. The Indians were naked as the as jaybirds, which obviously the Spanish considered to be a little weird, but the Spanish, they were in the colonial game. They were used to dealing with tribal peoples around the world. It's not as if they'd never seen a naked native before. And let's be honest, when you've been on, in the middle of the ocean as a dude for a month, it probably wasn't the end of the world when you see some naked Indian chicks come out. But Chris, it's true. But they did, they got along very, very well. We're in the Bahamas at this point, if you'd like to know where he landed. Specifically, if you'd like to know, I don't know. And here's why it's funny. When you're an explorer, when you're, and remember, this was something common. I mean, not, it's not like there were a bunch of people doing it, but the explorers all knew how this game was played back then. When you're charting new territories, you're out there on the water, you're figuring out what's what. You need to document things, right? But you don't have to document everything. Wife shoots me a text. Hey, what'd you have for lunch today? Oh, I had a salad. I don't necessarily have to say I had a salad before my double cheeseburger and fries. I'm kidding. That's a lie. But you know what I mean? You needed to document things. 
for your own good so you can get back to where you're going and for the people who sponsored this. Remember, this is a sponsored trip paid for mostly by the the royalty of Spain, some by Columbus himself, but mostly by the royalty of Spain. You have to give them some info, some documents. Not all the documents, though, because what are you thinking if you're the king and queen of Spain? Nothing against them personally, but if Christopher Columbus comes back to you and he has meticulous detail of everywhere he went, the distances, how long it took him to get there, the specifics of this, the specifics of that. What you're thinking if you're the king and queen of Spain is, oh, nice. Well, now we don't need you the next time, now do we? I'll hand these documents to somebody who's a little bit less of a pain in the rear end and be rid of you. You always wanted to make sure you were needed. Always. That's why I encourage all these wives to cook. <laughs> Quit, Chris. You can make jokes on the show. So when I say we don't know where on the Bahamas and where why nobody knows on the Bahamas, it's not because the records were lost. It's not because Columbus didn't take records. It's because he didn't necessarily put it down exactly. In the Bahamas. Begins to get to know the Indians. And I cannot explain this strongly enough. At first, this is a great relationship. The Indians are very interested in the Spanish. The Spanish are very interested in the Indians and things the Indians can offer. The Spanish are all about that gold life. You remember the Cortez expedition and everything else. Gold is always on the mind of Christopher Columbus. He's always asking the Indians wherever he goes about that. Where's the gold? Do you have any more gold? We'll trade you for gold. And they are trading with the Indians constantly. Here are these goods. Give me your goods. The Indians are offering voluntarily offering guide services now. They're learning each other's languages so we can start communicating better. Columbus is always asking them where he can find more gold. The Indians, whether they're honest about this or just trying to be coy about it, were always saying, oh, that's in a separate area. That's, that's, that's another island. That's down south. I don't know. That's south. But things are going well. So well that he keeps bouncing around. Columbus goes to Cuba. Columbus goes to Haiti. Things are going well. Right about this time, a few major things happened. One, the Pinta. Remember the Pinta that was forced into service? The Pinta leaves without permission, without telling anybody. They look one day and the Pinta's just leaving. They do some signaling. There's no signaling back. And just to fast forward a little bit, the Pinta eventually comes back and nobody really knows. They, it, it appears from what we can read, it appears they got fed up 
didn't want to be there, didn't want to follow Columbus anymore. You've been sitting there listening to the Indian tribes all tell you there's some place with tons of gold down south. It appears they really just took off and went to go look for themselves for a while. Again, remember, these are explorers. These are people who spend lots of time on a boat. These are people built differently. So that's one of the things that happens. Another thing that happens at this point is the Santa Maria, remember the biggest ship of the fleet, if you even want to call a three-ship thing a fleet, the biggest ship in the flagship, they run it aground. It runs into the ground, and this is not 2020, where you have barges and tugboats and Coast Guard and things like that. You, that's what fascinates me so much about this, is the remoteness and the wildness and the danger of it. You run your sailing ship aground over here. Goodbye. It's gone now. And this was the Santa Maria. Supposedly, Columbus cried because they had to unload everything off of it and say goodbye. So how about that? The Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. Santa Maria made a one-way trip. It never, ever, ever came home again. Would I cry, Chris? No, I wouldn't cry, but there are, I don't think I would cry. Here's, let me explain. I am, as everybody knows, I'm very unfeeling and cold and just don't have human emotions or morals or anything like that. However, the one thing, and this is really weird, I've had to say goodbye for various reasons to so many friends and things like that throughout my life. I can handle that stuff. It hurts. I can handle it. I actually get, I don't know if you want to call it emotional because it's not as if I'm crying, but I get a little tug at me whenever I leave a place where I've lived. I mean the actual apartment or house, which is odd because we moved 10 times in 10 years when I was a kid. We moved across the country. I've moved my whole life. I've moved all, I've, I've lived all over the place. However, my first apartment when I got out of the Marine Corps, I still remember the day I moved out and everything was cleared out. And I looked around at the apartment and I thought, man, I had some cool times here. And then the same thing, but our first house, when we got married, sold the house, packing up the house, moving out, looking around it, it hits me a little. I'm thinking, I remember we did this here and did that here. I remember the kitchen where the wife stayed. Stop. All right. We'll be back. I've got an animal inside of me. This is Jesse Kelly. You're listening to the Jesse Kelly Show. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, 
give your phone to a passenger, put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. The Pinta leaves, the Santa Maria is gone, and Columbus decides it is time to build a fort here. You don't have, because you had three ships, you don't have an endless amount of supplies for a fort. But you have some. You have the Santa Maria. Got plenty of wood to use there. And now you have to make a decision if you're Columbus. We're talking... A hundred people on this first voyage total. That's not an exact number. That's just rough. You have to decide how many are you leaving behind? His plan is to build a fort and then take off back to Portugal to resupply and, frankly, ask the crown for the money and everything they need to make a return trip. What do you leave? Who do you leave? Columbus picks 39 guys. As he leaves, they are constructing this fort. They are politely, very much so politely, getting along with the local Indian tribes, trading. Tribes are translating. Tribes are, however, I'm not sure the best way to put this because I'm not sure who I believe. The tribes are telling the Spanish about this other Indian tribe of cannibals called the Caribs. These people were, I know the Caribs were real, don't get me wrong. They were feared greatly throughout the region. Would constantly fight and slaughter other Indian tribes. And we'll get to some of the things they did to other Indian tribes in a moment. However, the reason I'm a little skeptical of some of this peppering of the Spanish, because they were always talking about the Caribs. Crib this, crib that. Oh, these people were terrors. Part of me wonders if there weren't some real crafty Indians in there who were already thinking, we need to get rid of these Spanish at some point, and we're going to need a scapegoat to do so. You'll see what I mean later on. Either way, they're, they're, they're tattling on the Caribs who the Spanish haven't even met yet. Columbus leaves 39 dudes there. Build your fort. I got to go back to Spain and I got to beg, borrow, and steal and present my case for why we should have a second expedition. This part actually fascinates me quite a bit. You left the 39 dudes. You left them to build the fort. You know they're surrounded by Indian tribes, and yes, they're getting along well, but what are you thinking if you're one of the 39 dudes when the sailboats are shipping off? What if Columbus gets back to Spain? And the crown says, no, you can't do another one. What are you supposed to do? 
you're there forever. What if you get back? And this is the era, remember, just like any other. This is the era where monarchs are overthrown, palace coups, wars happen. What if you get back and the royalty isn't even royalty anymore? What if you get back and another country like Portugal, which we'll get to in a second, what if they decide they want that island and they send a fleet to come kill you all? I just that has to the danger of that is amazing. Columbus sails back across the ocean blue heading east and actually gets captured by the Portuguese. Remember, Portugal and Spain, they're not hard way to put this. They're not enemies right now. But they ain't friends. And they've recently fought a war where they had to sign a treaty. You can't explore above here. You can't explore there. There definitely, there are some major, major tensions there between Portugal and Spain. And they are both powerhouses at this point in time. Columbus gets arrested, actually finds a way to negotiate his way out of it. Gets out of the arrest, brings, it should be noted, brings some of the Indians back with him. And this part, this part I start to struggle with. Remember, the crown looked down on slavery at this point in time, the Spanish monarchy. The Catholic Church in Europe looked down on slavery If the slaves were Christians, didn't care so much if they weren't. What I'm getting to is at this point, they're still selling this as willing Indians came back. Let's get to know each other, learn each other's language. So we have translators and things. Explain to me how you sold that to the Indians who are on the boat. Who've never been on a boat like that and certainly never been out in the middle of the ocean and dang sure have never been to Spain. What were you selling? Are you sure you asked or did you tell? Sure seems like they probably told. Again, I get a little skeptical when it comes to things like this. Hang on. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 
Columbus stands before the crown. Has a bunch of gold. A bunch is a strong way to put it. He didn't find these major gold veins he was trying to find. He had enough gold to pique the crown's interest. And remember, the crown was in this for profit. This wasn't just to spread Christianity. They wanted a link to the West. They wanted money. He didn't have a ton of gold, but he did have new lands he had claimed for Spain, and new lands always come with money and opportunity. He brings these Indians back. He's still selling this as he landed. He Look, let's be honest. He did sail west and did find land, and he thinks he found China or Japan, and the crown thinks he found China or Japan. So they're pretty stinking happy. Pretty stinking happy. You took a gamble on this dude. He came back. Look, I got some Indians. You can see I actually found something. How happy? I'll explain Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Columbus stands before the crown, gives an accounting of what he's done. The crown looks at Columbus and says, oh, yeah. Yeah, we need more of that. Outstanding, thrilled, go find us more gold, claim more lands. And this is the part of the story I always loved. They give him for his second voyage. Remember the first voyage? Three ships. 100 dudes or so. For his second voyage, they give him 17 ships and 1,200 people. I don't think that's great for, I don't think, I don't find that hilarious for the second trip. I find it hilarious because of what it says about the first trip. Talk about really hedging your bets and giving this wingnut sailing west the bare minimum. <laughs> I mean, when you go from three ships and 100 dudes to 17 ships and 1,200, even Columbus had to look around and be like, wow, they really did not take that first one seriously. <laughs> I gotta say. And when I say 1,200 men, 17 ships, just know that now we've taken on a whole new level of what Spain wants out of this. Spain now knows they've got something on their hands. These ships are packed full of 
soldiers, horses, war dogs. We'll get to that in a minute. But a lot more than that. They're packed full of craftsmen, construction workers, builders, medical personnel, priests. You're packing these things to go not just explore, to go build a civilization. Obviously, construction materials, even nice things, wine and such, even though wine was actually fairly common back then. Like I said, they needed it to disinfect the water half the time. Trump, or Trump, Columbus sets sail, gets back. Gets back, he lands initially south of where he had landed the first time. Puerto Rico area, about 500 miles south. And this time, they get a little creeped out the first time they land on an island. Remember... Virtually everywhere else they'd gone before on the first journey, they had been greeted practically on the beach, oftentimes on the beach by Indians, naked ones too, which is always a benefit. Stop. Been greeted by Indians on the beach. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Wow, you're white. Never seen that before. Very friendly thing. This time they land... There's no greeting. The Indians all appear to have fled to the interior of the island. They start digging through this island and they're seeing the remains of dead Indians all over the place. Finally, they find some living ones. And it's all women or children And the male children have all been castrated. Remember those Caribs we were talking about? Turns out they were real. Very, very, very real. Columbus. Columbus has to move on. He's there to find new things. He's there to explore. Columbus has to move on. He goes to get on his ships, and the women and children of this island are so terrified, they're begging Columbus to take them along. Now, here is a problem. Here's a problem that I don't know has a great solution. What do you do in this situation if you're Christopher Columbus? I know what you're thinking. Almost undoubtedly, you're thinking, well, you bring in the women and children. Remember who's on these ships? Remember the type of men on these ships? Remember what's not on these ships ever? Other women? Do you think that's an accident or a tool of the patriarchy that historically women have not been on naval vessels? Do you know the most underrated thing about our military today is how our naval ships consistently have major screw-ups and consistently set sail without the proper personnel? Why? Because we decided we had to be more inclusive and include women on naval ships 
and it turns into exactly what you'd expect. When you pack a thousand 20, 18, 19, 20 year old men and women on a naval ship for any extended period of time, it turns into exactly what you'd think. And with that comes drama. With drama comes really hurting the ability, the readiness of a ship. It's nobody's fault. It's how God made us. It's human nature. It's the fault of the person who let them on. I'm not even blaming them. I don't care who you are, what the situation is. You take 10 20-year-old women and 10 20-year-old men and put them on a deserted island for about a week you're going to have things happening and you're going to then have tension and drama as jealousy and things unfold. We men, you women, we like each other. Why do you think God made women so annoying? Because they're so hot. It's the only thing that keeps them away sometimes. (laughs) In all seriousness, you're asking for trouble. Now you take, if you're Christopher Columbus, you have to consider this. In Columbus, we don't know how much his faith was genuine, but whose faith do you do know that is genuine that you can say 100%? Only God knows such things. Christopher Columbus considered himself to be a strict, devout Catholic, a devout man. He did. And very well could have been. We don't know. He wants to do the right thing and save these women. At the same time, you're going to bring a bunch of Indian women onto a ship. Huge savior savior complex thing going on there. You know the ruffians on the ship. And let's not forget, even Columbus would have looked down on these people as savages beneath them. Boy, that situation's getting more and more dangerous by the second, isn't it? Columbus chooses to save some. I will tell you, I can't seem to find, I'm sure somebody's written about it out there, I can't seem to find exactly what the selection process was for who you chose to save and who you didn't choose to save, but even that would be interesting to see, right? You know what I'm thinking, the same thing you're thinking. Did they go through and pick the hottest chicks to save? And back to the moral dilemma, should you have saved them? We may have to continue this tomorrow History says probably not. Is he smarter than everyone? Who knows? Does he think so? Yeah. The Jesse Kelly Show. You need to get some gold. You have to get some gold. I just talked about it extensively on the show yesterday. I know you heard. 
We can't print like this forever. Just print money like this. We can't do that. And now they're talking about spending even more. And I don't know if you know this, but they're not going to spend less the next year. It's going to be more and more and more. And eventually that bubble is going to burst. And when that bubble bursts, you're going to wish you had gold then. Go get a gold IRA and get it from Gold Alliance. Gold Alliance has an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. A-plus. You know how difficult it is to get that? That means you have an established record of outstanding service. Go to goldalliance.com slash jesse. That's goldalliance.com slash jesse. Go there now. Protect your financial future. going to get to a lot of the ugly stuff which really took place on the second voyage which is the one we're on but we're going to have to wait and get to that tomorrow but you really need to take this away from what we've done what we've talked about so far certain men are good at certain things and No men are good at everything. And you need to be, I don't want to use the word more understanding. But you do need to be more accepting of who's good at what and accept people's gifts for what they are. I want the world to be explored. I'm glad it was explored, I guess I should say. I'm glad there were men brave enough to get on a ship and point it west. However, I accept, as you should accept, there's a good chance the type of man who does that It's not the type of man you want babysitting your children, checking in on your wife while you're out of town, guarding your money. There's a good chance the type of man who does that doesn't fit well in a settled, civilized society. And that's okay. To a point, obviously, you want to control all that. People are built differently. We're all made differently, good at some things, bad at others. That's why I don't get bothered with all the hate I get from the left and whatnot. It genuinely doesn't bother me. I I understand I'm a jerk. I'm, I'm not. There's nothing I can do about that. That's how I am. Sometimes you need a jerk. Sometimes a jerk is necessary. Everyone isn't good at everything, and everyone doesn't thrive in every environment. That's absurd. There are loners. There are social people. My accountant could never in a million years be my lawyer because he's a huge numbers nerd who enjoys looking at Excel spreadsheets. My lawyer could never be my accountant. 
There's no way you're going to get that guy to sit down in front of a computer and do that. And that's fine. One of them isn't better or worse than the other. It is important that you, this is a rough way to put this, that you use people for the benefit they can give you, meaning the benefit they can give the things you care about. And I'm not telling you you have to ignore everything else. That's not true. But you have to acknowledge there are going to be some failures there. I've heard people describe it as being uneven before. They did that great documentary on ESPN about the uh, the Michael Jordan Bulls and their last title called Last Dance. Highly recommend it. And there's so much written, ever so much has been written now about why Michael Jordan is a jerk. Jordan was mean to this. Jordan was mean to that teammate. Jordan was mean to this. Jordan was a bad husband. Jordan was this. Jordan was that. I'm not denying any of that. I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of that's true. Some of it's probably exaggeration. Whatever. But I'm sure a lot of it's true. What type of human being do you think obsesses so much that he practices until his fingers bleed? That's not necessarily a person who's going to be a great teammate. However, you're going to win a lot of titles. I can take people for what they give me and ignore the rest to a point. When we get to tomorrow... We are going to get past the sunny side of this whole exploration of the Caribbean era area. Tomorrow, it's going to get dark. There's no way to sugarcoat it. It's going to get dark. It's going to get ugly. People are going to die. Lots of them. People are going to do ugly things. Lots of them. I'm not excusing them. I never would. But that's exploration. And that's the type of man who goes out there. And I thought about this last night when I watched Trump. Trump was back at a rally. He's doing the rally thing now. They've basically just screwed everything up with the COVID. They've they've disenfranchised people to the point now where people don't care about the coronavirus thing. They just do not care. Look, even the people who pretend to care don't care at all. They they do not care at all. They just act like they care in front of you. So now Trump's just flat out putting on rallies, packing stadiums, putting on rallies. It's what he does. And Trump was up there in rally mode. Dropping lines like, this is a direct quote, my heart is with the hardworking patriots of all backgrounds who build up communities, not the violent criminals and extremists and agitators and anarchists who burn them down. That's a great line. As you can imagine, crowd goes ape when he drops that line. And it occurred to me, this is when Donald Trump is at his best. This is what he does well. How many times have you heard me bag on something Trump has done? Mainly over the past three or four months with his coronavirus response, his initial Black Lives Matter response. He's looked scared. He's looked timid at times, beaten down, tired. Why do you think that is? 
Donald Trump is not the type of human being who can sit in the White House and give press conferences all day long. Donald Trump, I've seen him do this in person when I went to a Houston rally. I know what feeding off the energy of the crowd looks like. The man's 72 or 73 years old and spoke for over an hour. He was working on hour number two when I left and the place was going crazy. Have you ever given a speech before? I've given tons of them. It's exhausting. Just once you get, I mean, getting, getting up for it and then coming to Donald Trump looked like he could have gone all night. That is what he's made for. And I will tell you, as somebody who is always rooting for America, it did me well to see him like that. Donald Trump is going to be better and better over the next couple months because he's going to be out again, getting energized, feeding off the crowd. That doesn't make him better or worse than the guy who prefers to sit by his desk and and take notes while reading the newspaper. You can choose what you want out of your president. But it is a fact. It is a fact. He's going to be better and better now. I'm glad he's out there again. It's what he's good at. And it did occur to me, as I've said, I don't think you can predict this election right now. I would say all signs are pointing towards a Trump win, but I mean, gosh, if Biden won, I wouldn't be surprised with how insane everything and everyone is right now. But I do see the possibility of Trump putting some serious distance between himself and Joe Biden between now and Election Day because the most important thing in every campaign is the candidate himself. Joe Biden can't leave the basement for more than five minutes at a time. Donald Trump's going to be packing stadiums for two months. It's going to matter. Hang on. Ebb sleep has changed how I work. can change how you work. How much different would your daily work life be if you had energy every day? You just feel good every single day. It changes everything. It changes, honestly, it changes how I am as a parent. You get home from work and you're not busted and done for the day. I just want to lay here. You're ready to go. Let's hang out. Let's go for a walk. Let's go play ball. It's awesome. That's what Ebb Sleep can do for you. And they're so confident they can do that for you, they let you try it risk-free for 60 nights. It's a wearable device, not pills. Don't worry about that. A wearable device calms down those thoughts and makes you a better you. Go to tryebb.com slash jesse. That's tryebb.com slash jesse. Use the promo code jesse at checkout. 25 bucks off. Joining me now, as he often does, co-founder of The Federalist, my friend Sean Davis. Sean, 
You had an interesting thing this week about Vindman. People somehow have already put this guy out of their minds. The president of the United States of America was impeached, everyone. I know everyone forgot about that by now. And it came from this guy. Why? Well, first off, I think you mean Lieutenant Colonel Vindman. Oh, How yes. dare you, sir? Yes. Yes. I apologize. I apologize for not paying that uh, lion of our military the respect he deserved. Anyway, please continue. Uh, right. So he was the guy who was actually behind uh, what was really happening in an impeachment, but he really didn't have the guts to uh, to put his name behind it. Uh, so it was obvious at the time. It's actually detailed in a new book by Byron York uh, called Obsessed About Impeachment. But it was obvious at the time that, that he was behind this. He just found a patsy who wasn't smart enough to know that maybe his name shouldn't be on this to put his name on it. And and so he pushed it. And if you'll recall, during the um, the, he- the public hearings on impeachment, uh, Republican members of the House Intel Committee started asking him, hey, so who'd you talk to about this phone call? And he said, oh, I talked to this person and I talked to this person and I talked to this person. And they said, OK, so this third person, who who would that be? This person in the intel community you talked about? He said, oh, no, no, I can't answer that. I can't answer that. And then Schiff and that whole clown car of uh, Democrats on the committee said, oh, no, you can't ask him in that. You can't ask him that. But this was the guy who uh, made a name for himself trying to overthrow the commander in chief of the military and the president of the United States. Sean, is Trump cleaning this garbage out slowly? Is this a second term thing? Pessimistic Jesse says this. I think he's going to get reelected. I think if it was held today, he'd get reelected anyway. And it's just going to be another four years of the over 90% federal employee Democrat crew ruining, throwing, throwing shackles on him at every turn if he's not cleaning it out. Is he cleaning it out? Can he clean it out? Well, I don't think that's a pessimistic view so much as a realistic one. I mean, the, the bulk of the uh, the federal government, uh, a lot of it's unionized. It's run by a hard left uh progressive Democrats who have made clear that the only elections that are legitimate are the ones that their friends win. So they've spent the last year, you know, trying to throw Trump out of office, trying to thwart his will, declaring that the deep state or the administrative state is what really matters. You actually had a former Obama ambassador uh, this week say, oh, you know what? Uh, Nobody in the intel community wants Trump to be president or, or the defense community. Uh, and it never dawned on him that, yes, those people all have a vote, but they don't get to pick who runs this country. So I think Trump's got a really, really uphill climb to uh, to clear out the the deadwood in the rot in the federal government, th- this Mandarin class that thinks it has a divine right to rule over us. That's going to be the hardest challenge if he wins a, of the entire second term is rooting that out. What do we do about the union thing, Sean? I agree. It's the biggest pro- I mean, it could be the biggest problem in the country. These people are unfireable losers who now think they run things. How do we stop that? Well, so I'll say in general, unions don't bother me. They, they came up for a, for a good reason. They, yeah, government uh, unions. You know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the government unions that are a problem. It's, it's not like you have to worry about someone sitting at a desk putting paper clips on papers all day that they're going to get the black lung from mining hmm. uh, and they need someone to help them out with health care. OK, they're, they're they I know they like to think of themselves as the Marines of paperwork, I think. So they got to have all <laughs> these bennies and perks. But that ain't how it works. And what we've actually set up is an entire class of people uh, against the taxpayer because that's who they're bargaining against. They're, they're joining together to bargain against the American taxpayer who funds 
uh, everything they do. Uh, I don't think government unions should be legal at all. And, you know, if you don't like your government job, um, you can go get another job. Welcome to, to life for most people in America. Joe Biden, if you're the Democratic Party, do you think they think they made a mistake at this point in time going all in behind him? I mean, we know we know they know the situation. You can't hide him in the basement and win the presidency. However, he doesn't have the physical and mental capability to go out there and pack stadiums and do rallies. So what do you do? Do you think they think at this point, man, we kind of blew this? I don't know, because we're called. It wasn't like this was uh, an organic thing where people just really, really loved Joe Biden and wanted him to be president. He was getting smoked in the primaries. And then kind of out of nowhere, the entire party and media establishment, which is basically one big blob, decided, you know, what? that's it. It's going to be Joe Biden. And like in the course of a week or mm-hmm. a weekend, um, they set everything up for this guy to be the nominee. So I don't know if they really liked him. If they thought um, maybe it didn't matter who they put up, so they should put up a shell because Trump was going to lose anyway. Or if they thought, who knows, Trump's toast, let's just throw a sacrificial lamb in there, he's going to lose, and who cares what happens to it. I I really don't know because nothing that party does makes any sense to me. I just don't understand it. That's what has weirded me out, Sean. Overall, I consider Democrats better at politics than Republicans are because they worship it. it. It is their god. And it was such a purposeful thing. Like you just said, they didn't fall backwards into Joe Biden. Well, we got to give the people what they want. It was the most controlled, manipulated thing. Somebody clearly decided that's the route they're going. And it blew me away when they did it. I was floored. You had younger candidates, obviously had problems, but like Buttigieg or somebody like that. You had younger guys you could season and they picked the guy whose brain has turned to scrambled eggs. Yeah, part of me wonders if if it, it was really the Obamas behind this whole thing. Like, they clearly wanted Kamala Harris, and she's just got – she had no sway in the primary. So they pushed their boy Biden through kind of with the understanding that, you know, you're going to let Kamala Harris be your VP, and then you're going to let her run the country if you win. I, I don't really know. What, what boggles my mind is had they gone in and allowed someone like a Jim Webb to get any sort of play in the party to rise up, that kind of candidate who has real blue-collar appeal, who loves America, who doesn't hate the military, somebody like that could have, I think, pulled off uh, a huge swath of people from Trump and made this thing not even close for the Democrats. But they're so hard left, they're so crazy, uh, that they decided they needed someone who raised uh, money to bail out rioters and domestic terrorists to be on the ticket. It just, it doesn't make sense to me. Is there a correction coming for them? If, I mean, I I can foresee a scenario and I don't, so they don't want to count my chickens. I can see anybody winning, but I can see a scenario that has Democrats getting wiped out at the polls in November, mainly because all the street riot stuff, people feel unsafe. They're going to definitely point fingers at them. Do they go back if that happens and, and say, OK, we have got to walk away from these, this insane base and get things right or we're never winning an election again? No way. No way. Because the chance to do that was 2016. They, they had the chance after Trump won to say, wow, we really miscalculated this guy who we thought had no chance actually really lit a fire under people. And he won. You know, we in the media should take stock of, of how we acted and how we got it wrong and, and change this around. 
No, they did the opposite. And by the way, it worked out for them in 2018. They spent multiple years running a coup against the president and rode that wave into a majority in the House and a near majority in the Senate. There's no way on earth that they get wiped out now. They look back. What will actually happen is the uh, the kooky AOC squad wing will say, look, we told you to put a progressive in there and you put up, uh, uh, you know, an old man, white, moderate dinosaur. And look what happens. It, it will be uh, unleashing the progressive hordes on that party if they don't win. Oh, that, is it bad that I'm excited about that? Am I a bad person? <laughs> it scares me. Yeah, it's look, it's scary, but everything's horrifying. I, I get that. It's it's horrifying, but still, it's going to be a lot of fun for you and I, Sean. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a target-rich environment. Yes, uh, it sure will. Polemicist. <laughs> Sean Davis at the Federalist. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, sir. Take care. What, Chris? I have a sickness. I have a sickness. Did you see this? Did, did, did I print out that Oscar story? Did you print out the Oscar story? Oh, oh gosh. I'll, I'll print this out. Hold on. I'll tell you in a second. Jesse Kelly. On air and online at jessekellyshow.com. HomeTitleLock.com. Go there now while I'm talking to you. Go there right now and register your address. Because the thing is, you might already be a victim of home title theft and not know it. That's what sucks so bad about this cybercrime. They get a hold of your home title. They forge your signature on it. They take a loan out against it. You're not getting a heads up from anybody, not unless you have home title lock. The first heads up you're going to get that a loan has been taken out against your title. When you get a notice in the mail saying you're past due and you're going to stare at that notice and you're going to say, honey, did you take out a loan? Uh, No, it just must be, it just must be junk mail and you're going to throw it away until one day that's an eviction notice. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Use the code JESSE while you're there. That gets you 30 free days of protection. I am allowed... To take pleasure in leftists eating themselves. I always will. Always will. Headline. Academy. This new. We're talking about the Academy Awards. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences to be more specific. The Academy lists new diversity requirements to win the Oscar for best picture. And the best part of this is not the details. The best part of this is it only gets worse from here for them. Eventually it will be because this is how these things always end. Remember, this is a supremacist movement. This is not an equality movement. So it's a supremacist movement. No different than the KKK and all that other stuff. That's what this is. Just because society has decided this supremacist movement is acceptable doesn't mean it. it's anything but that. That's all it is. 
it's it's a culturally approved supremacist movement. Period. Eventually, it's going to be the we require the director to be black. We require this, require that, and normally that stuff disgusts me, except when it comes to things like Hollywood, who has done everything in their power to push this forward, to push this crap every chance they get, and I can't wait until it all implodes. Colin Kaepernick. Madden is a big sports game out there, big football video game for you people who don't know what Madden is. Madden announced they're keeping Colin, they're going to put Colin Kaepernick in the game and give him a high rating so he's a good player, just as a thank you for everything Kaepernick has done. One columnist just nominated Colin Kaepernick for the NFL Hall of Fame. I'm not making that up. People are mad about this, and I'll be honest about my feelings. You know I'm honest about that stuff. I'm mad that they ruined football. I mean, they have. I won't watch it down. I won't watch a single play. I won't watch anything. I'm done. You make your own choices. I say you should be done. Stop supporting people who hate you, but I am done. So I am mad about that. At the same time, I'm going to laugh and laugh and laugh when the NFL Players Union, when it comes time for them to strike up a new agreement with the owners, and the owners, they point to the TV ratings and the falling TV revenue, which means smaller TV contracts, not larger TV contracts. Remember, trees don't grow to the sky. You think they do. TV contracts can go down just like they can go up. And the TV contracts with the league are going to go down if the ratings continue to suck because then you can't sell ads for the same price. And the NFL owners are going to come to these players and be, oh, oh, oh you want more money? Oh, look, I, I have our falling TV ratings and falling TV contracts. No, 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 no. You, you misunderstood this whole thing. You're about to get less money. And the best is going to be all the weeping and gnashing of teeth we're going to see then. What? This is an outrage. Whoa, I thought you I thought you wanted to kneel for the flag. I thought you wanted to sacrifice for the cause. Well, you have. You sacrificed your profitability. But what happens to people all the time? I see this in my industry all the time. What happens to people is entertainers end up making a good living. I mean, they they make various livings. Some people are filthy rich. Some just make a great living. But entertainers make a great living entertaining. And when you entertain for a living, whether it be singers, actors, athletes are the same. I'm sorry. Your sport is not that important. Now, I think sports are important for a society, helps hold society together. But you're just an entertainer. I saw these, didn't get off on a quick side note, I saw these track athletes a little while ago that didn't like how close the cameras were when they were getting ready to sprint. You get paid to run for a living. That's no disrespect to track athletes who are incredible athletes. You are there to entertain the masses. You let the cameras physically crawl up your rear end if you have to because that's how you get paid. 
It's about the purity of the game. Oh, shut up. You want to go back to eating ketchup soup? You enjoy your million-dollar Nike contract? Then let the camera get there. Anyway, I don't want to get off on that. But entertainers, they get famous, they get rich by entertaining. And what happens when you do that is you get people praising you all the time. Oh, a a so-and-so actress, I love you. Oh, singer, I love you. Woo, everybody cheer. Woo, raise your lighter at the concert for the singer. Professional athlete, oh, I love you. Can I have can I have your autograph running back? Let's take a selfie. And everywhere you go, the men want to meet you. The chicks want to do more than meet you. You're driving a Lamborghini, living in a mansion, and it's human nature. It's not even their fault. It is human nature to look around at all that and start to think to yourself, that you're more than just an entertainer. You look around and start to think, I'm pretty important. Hang on. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Part-time job, full-time hustle, all-time Shiro to all of us. You nurture, we listen. You teach, we thrive. You lift our spirits, but we've got to lay down the truth. It's time for you, our Shiro, to stretch for the stars. Start saving more for retirement now so you can feel prepared and live your life to the fullest. Get free tips to help boost your retirement savings now at aceyourretirement.org slash Shiro. A message brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Crowds are intoxicated. Fame is intoxicated. It is a dangerous drug. And it can kill you and has killed many. And if you let it, you can let it ruin the one thing about you everybody loved. That you were entertaining. I don't care how important you think you are. You play football for a living. And that's awesome. That's really cool. I'm not talking down to you. I talk on the radio. But that's all you are to the masses. It may not be all you are as a human being. That's all you are to the masses. I'm not giving you something special. I'm not some special person. I entertain you for four hours a day. Three on the radio, one on TV. That's all. When I stop being entertaining, you'll stop listening. 
and you should. Hang on. Jesse Kelly returns next. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Chris asked a really stupid question during the break, so I figured I might as well address it on the air. Some Iraqis killed two senior ISIS members, and Chris, because he's an ignoramus, said, well, I don't understand. Aren't they all the same thing? Aren't they all buddies? Here's the situation in Iraq. This is the ultimate simplistic way to put it, but this is true. Iraq was run by a dictator for a long, long time. Everybody knows Saddam Hussein. And he might not have been bad for there. Now, hear me out here. Saddam Hussein was a terrible person. His sons were basically the Antichrist. Saddam Hussein is guilty of everything you ever told me he was guilty of, just like Gaddafi and all of them. But you and I have to accept certain things about history, about the world. I'm very blessed. You're very blessed to live in a relatively peaceful, free civilized Western society. But that existence is the tiny, tiny, tiny exception to how people have lived historically. We are the exception. Just because it's all you and I have ever known, we can easily get ourselves trapped in this thinking that this is just kind of the rule. This is the way it is, and you and I can get trapped in this as well. We can convince ourselves that this would be good for everyone immediately. There are story after story after story of nations transitioning from one type of government to a different type of government and struggling for years, sometimes struggling forever until the country itself ceases to exist, struggling to adjust to the new way of living. I don't want anybody in the world to be oppressed under an ugly dictator. However, oftentimes, you may not like to admit this, oftentimes, The ugly dictator at the top 
is more preferable than the system you would put in and more preferable than the next guy who takes power. That's hard to say, right? Nobody wants to come out and defend Saddam Hussein. He's a dirtbag and a monster. Nobody wants to do that. But Saddam Hussein kept a lot of really, really radical elements in that area on lockdown. Saddam Hussein controlled that area. That's a difficult, historically, a difficult area to to control. A real Shia versus Sunni Muslim clash, and I mean clash is putting it nicely. Somebody kept that stuff on lockdown. Gaddafi, Libya was certainly no place you'd want to move under Gaddafi, but there are open slave trade markets going on in Libya now that we got rid of Gaddafi. You go ask people in Libya to this day if they'd prefer what they have now or they'd rather have Gaddafi back, I think you'd find some interesting poll results. Iraq is working on moving away from people living under a dictatorship. It's all they've ever known. They're trying the democracy thing. It's a little difficult, very tribal, clashing, hate each other. ISIS, they did rise partially in Iraq because there are people in positions of power in Iraq, undoubtedly, who do support them. However, there are lots of people in Iraq who hate them. It's a difficult part of the world to control. Clear back to the beginning. I wasn't even planning on going there, but clear back to the beginning of the show. The guy you send out on a sailboat across the ocean that's brave enough to go explore may not be a great human being in whatever sense of the word you want to use there. That's the type of guy who goes out to explore across the ocean. Oftentimes, the type of guy who can keep Iraq a relatively peaceful place that doesn't foster the rise of a major terrorist regime is the type of guy you don't really want to live under and you really don't want to hear those stories of things that take place under him. I've been inside one of his torture chambers. It's ugly. I've seen people who were living under him bring the posters of him they were forced to keep in their home outside on the porch as we were blowing through there and tear them up in front of us and throw them in the air and celebrate. Living under a dictator is ugly. Those same people, 10 years later, 15 years later, they're having their hands chopped off for staying out after curfew by ISIS. Are they better? Would they still tear that poster up? I'm not saying there are right answers or simple answers. There aren't black and white answers. 
but don't ever convince yourself that, wow, it's all so easy. Let's just get rid of the bad guy. You know what the situation is in Russia right now? You know, Vladimir Putin has a real old school, like I'm talking czarist Russia view of Russia. And no question, they're advancing with their space technology. They're advancing with their nuclear technology. Vladimir Putin is a dictator. No question, he'll be in power for life. You know what the biggest concern of a lot of our Russian experts is right now? I talked to one on my TV show last night. The biggest concern is not Vladimir Putin. I mean, he's a concern. He's an enemy, but not Vladimir Putin. They're looking at Vladimir Putin's age and saying, "Uh uh-oh, what comes after him? Vladimir Putin, ugly as it is, murdering Russian strongman as he is, holding that thing together. How many people out there, if I were to ask you right now, Privately, because no one would want to admit this publicly. Privately, pick one government leader across the world you could have killed tonight. Vladimir Putin would be on most Americans' short lists, I would guess. You sure about that? If he's on your short list, are you sure about that? Yeah, you're right, Chris. Most people probably say to the China guy, Xi. But anyway. Be careful what you wish for. It doesn't always work out. Oftentimes, why do you think our foreign policy has been such a disaster for so long? You know what, Chris? It's been too long since we've played it. You know what one to pull up. We'll play it after the break. And it's a big tongue-in-cheek thing. I believe it was Reason.com that did it. We've played it before. It's called Intervention, a Success Story. And it's a big, obviously, tongue-in-cheek thing. We're going to play it right coming back. But... Listen to it when we play it and tell me what's wrong. How terrible would it be to get kicked out of your house? I've had this thought before when you've seen people for whatever reason, lost their jobs, irresponsible, whatever reason, when you've seen people get a gigantic Statement stapled to their front door, evicted, kicked out, foreclosure, so on and so forth. I always think, man, homeless, a whole family homeless. What must that feel like? Do you know that can happen to you? If you're a victim of home title theft and they take a loan out against your home without your knowledge and you don't pay it back, they're going to evict you. This is the cyber crime that gets you evicted from your home. Go to HomeTitleLock.com right now. Register your address. See if you're already a victim. While you're there, sign up. Sign up and let them protect you. Also, I'm going to save you a little money. Use the promo code JESSE while you're there. Get 30 free days of protection. A new and glorious dawn breaks over the Middle East, where rigorous American bombing campaigns have blasted the region into a friendly golf course of democracy. It's all a part of America's comprehensive, methodically planned foreign policy strategy. 
let's look back at our nation's glorious adventures in Intervention, a success story. 1953, the United States topples the democratically elected government of Iran and installs a king favorable to our oil interests. The Shah likes America, ensuring that our nations will be friends forever. In 1979, Iran ousts the Shah, which America had helpfully installed, and is inexplicably distrustful of the United States meddling in its affairs. But don't worry, when Iraq and Iran go to war a year later, President Reagan provides aid to America's good friend Saddam Hussein, thus ensuring peaceful relations with Iraq forever. During the Cold War, Islamist fighters in Afghanistan square off against the godless Soviets. America aids a group of staunch anti-Russians called the Mujahideen, including an energetic young man named Osama bin Laden, thus ensuring a beneficial relationship between the United States and Afghanistan forever. In 1991, America goes to war with Iraq's evil dictator Saddam Hussein, who had illegally occupied Kuwait. After a brief period of vigorous bombing, President Bush declares victory, thus ensuring that America need never return to Iraq forever. In 2001, the United States declares war on the Taliban for shielding evil terrorist mastermind Osama bin Laden. We may never know how Afghanistan's ultra-conservative jihadist government came to power, or from where they got their guns. But we do know that America's ongoing presence ensures a lasting peace with a grateful people. Forever! In 2003, President George W. Bush ousts evil strongman dictator Saddam Hussein, thus ensuring a democratic, prosperous Iraq forever! In 2011, President Barack Obama topples the government of evil Libyan dictator Muammar Gaddafi, thus ensuring a peaceful Libya forever, especially in Benghazi, forever. In 2016, Nobel Peace Prize winner President Obama drops over 26,000 bombs across seven different nations, thus ensuring blah, 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 forever. In 2017, Bashar al-Assad unleashes chemical weapons in Syria, provoking the wrath of new U.S. President Donald Trump. Trump fires a symbolic fuselage of missiles at Syria, thus solving the Assad problem forever. A year later, Bashar al-Assad unleashes chemical weapons again in Syria after apparently failing to notice the previous bombing. The direct threat to American national defense which Syria poses is self-evident, and President Trump authorizes a new strike against the regime, thus ensuring American safety forever. Today's scientists believe the Middle East is one strategic bombing away from a lasting peace. President Trump's fiery sucker punch in Syria could be that penultimate explosion the region so clearly needs, freeing the United States to turn her attention to other trouble spots around the globe, and there to enforce an aggressive peace forever. I know it's tongue-in-cheek. Where is he wrong? We want to help. We're back to our Christopher Columbus story at the beginning of the show. You're standing there on the shore. Women and kids. Their men have been killed. They're in fear for their lives. What if this bad Indian tribe comes back? You want to help. So often, that's when you do the most damage. Oftentimes, you just need to leave it alone. You just need to leave it alone. You know where I see this a lot in people's personal lives? I see this with couples going through a hard time or couples going through a divorce. And this is what happens. And I see it 
endlessly. You've got a sister. Her and her husband are, they're, they're going to have a divorce. They're getting a divorce. She's calling you about it. And what she's saying, I've, and I've seen this story a thousand times. He's such a jerk. He doesn't appreciate me. He doesn't, whatever she's saying. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. It doesn't matter. You're her brother. You love her. You're tempted to help, right? To agree. You know what, sis? You're right. I always hated that dirt ball. What a scumbag. Screw him. You know what? I think you should clean the toilet with his toothbrush on the way out of town. Yeah, you're right. He sucks. And every time she calls, you're there. You're listening. Absolutely. You're agreeing. You're trying to be a good brother or a good friend or whatever the situation is. And then what happens? They get back together. You know what part of couples getting back together is? You can believe this or not. It's a fact. I've seen it 10 million times. Part of getting back together is talking about all the people who badmouthed the significant other when you were separating. She's your sister, right? She won't do it on purpose, but she's going to mention, oh, man, sweetie, I love you. I'm so glad we're not getting a divorce. Oh, my brother hates you. Did you know he's always hated you? Gosh, he said you were such a scumbag. And now you're the bad guy. You can try to help all day long. Never, ever, ever, ever under any circumstances get involved in that stuff. I don't care if it's your best friend, mom, dad, sister, whoever it is. Your answer is, I'll say a prayer for you. Please leave me out of it. I'm here to support you. Please leave me out of it. People want to help. It's your sister. You want to help. Don't help. Because it's not going to help. And you're going to be the bad guy. Donald Trump was just nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Donald Trump is the greatest foreign policy president of my lifetime. Israel and UAE are going to sign a peace deal at the White House. And this is no shaky peace deal. The countries are joining together rapidly. Direct flights, diplomatic relations. They are, you know how amazing that is for a Jewish country and an Islamic country to join together and decide we're going to get along. You know how insane that is? It's absurd. And Trump negotiated that. Donald Trump just announced today humongous drawdown of troops in Iraq and Afghanistan. You can hate Donald Trump's guts. You can hate everything about him. He is the best foreign policy president of my lifetime. And honestly, I'm a little weirded out by that. I did not see that coming. I could see him easily, given his business background as being good for business in America, and he has been slashing regulations and taxes. Where did he learn all this foreign policy stuff? Maybe all that stuff of I'm a deal maker, I'm a negotiator. 
that we all took as kind of campaign bluster, maybe we all should have been taking that a little more seriously. When you're negotiating deals between freaking Israel and the UAE, you can negotiate deals. And what's amazing about that is they won't be the last. UAE laying out a model. You can deal with these Jews. It's important for other Muslim countries to see that. It's important for the lives of everyone in Israel and the Muslim countries. Think how different the world looks if that whole region gets along. Isn't that amazing? What if, totally pie in the sky thing, what if 10 years from now, what if the whole Middle East is united against Iran and Iran's on the outs? Because we didn't, didn't invade. Hang on. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Joining me now, a man who wrote a book you need to read. How often do I tell you that? Never, right? You need to find out what big tech is doing in this country because elections are going to be decided by it in the future. Alan Bakari, he's with Breitbart.com, and he wrote this new book I recommend, Deleted, it's called. Alan, tell me about Deleted. Uh, well, the full title is Deleted, Big Tech's Battle to Erase the Trump Movement and Steal the Election. And I think that's really been the story of the past four years. It's certainly the story that my sources inside Facebook, Google, and Twitter have told me that the whole priority of the most radical members of these companies over the past four years, which is to say the entire, the, the majority of these companies, has been to prevent a repeat of 2016 and to use their vast power to uh, manipulate information and flood undecided voters with propaganda against Donald Trump in 2020. Because many of these companies, the Googles, the Facebooks, 
feel extremely guilty that they didn't do enough to stop Trump in 2016. Before we get to the how, I want you to explain to me why. Why is that? Why is all this big tech? Why are they all leftist activists? How did this happen? I wouldn't think. I mean, I don't know enough about the tech industry. I wouldn't think that would that would attract people like actors and musicians. I assume they're leftists. Why are tech people leftists? That's a great question. It might be because of their location, Silicon Valley, the Bay Area, the heart of progressive liberal America. That may be one explanation for it. The other explanation is that, um, uh, you know, they hire young people right out of college and they've been indoctrinated in, in these far left ideal, ideals like, uh, like critical race theory, which Donald Trump is going after right now. This is endemic inside the tech industry as well. And the other reason why they're doing this is because no one is stopping them. There's no law, there's no regulation that prevents these companies using their vast power to influence elections. And uh, I got to tell you, it, tr- it truly is vast. They can, you know, manipulate search results. They can make sure undecided voters never see a pro-Trump message. Uh, your posts could be suppressed on social media without you even realizing it. They're building AI algorithms that can censor entire movements. Uh, with the press of a button, and there's no oversight, there's no regulation, there's no transparency, so we won't even know it's happening. The only hint we get is from these inside sources inside the companies that I've talked to uh, for the book and for my articles. Explain to me manipulating search results for people who don't understand exactly what that looks like. So you you might go on Google, uh, or you might even go on Twitter or Facebook, and uh, the first thing you'll see is a post or a search result at the top of your feed. And uh, it used to be the case that, you know, what determined the top three search results, the top five research results would be a combination of various objective factors. Like, you know, is it very recent? Is it very popular? Did lots of people click on this link? But now, increasingly, the tech giants are controlling what you see at the top of your feed. Uh, those top three, three search results when you type a, a search query into, into Google, and we know they're using it to, uh, to manipulate politics because, for example, they've cut Breitbart News's search visibility by 97.3% since the last election. That almost completely eliminated it, despite the fact that you know, our popularity and our relevance, our timeliness has not gone down at all. Um, and once again, there's there's no oversight that's preventing them from doing this, so they can totally change the search results as they see fit, which is a very big deal when you consider the fact that uh, the vast majority of users do not go beyond the top three or even the top five search results. That's what drives more than 90% of traffic on these search engines. Alan, what can we do about it? What should we do about it? I, I can I can hate this all day long. That that's not a solution. Hating it's not a solution. What is the solution? Well, I would do a number of things. First of all, I wouldn't. Many people say boycott the platforms. Don't boycott the platforms because then you're self-censoring yourself. And it's especially important to make your voice heard in an election year, even if the. Uh, the platform you're making your voice heard on is biased, but you should also make it count on alternative competing platforms like Parler and Gab, which are alternative social networks. You should also um, get out and start talking to people in real life, talk to undecided voters, because if tech companies are flooding undecided voters with a stream of propaganda, which they are, we've got to make sure they you know, get the other side of the story. And... Um, 
Uh, the third thing is, you know, just pressure, pressure your congressman, pressure your representative. These tech companies should not have this level of influence over politics. And especially for Republicans, who are the primary targets of this kind of censorship, I think taking money from a big tech company, as uh, some Republicans should have done, that should be as unacceptable to Republican voters as taking money from Planned Parenthood. What can be done between now and the election? We've got, we, we've got less than two months. What can Trump do now? Can he do anything? I'm not sure he can. I think this election will be a real test of whether these technologies are able to swing an election. Uh, certainly, there's some very disturbing research from a, a psychologist showing that um, search engine manipulation can shift up to 10% of undecided votes, maybe even more. So this election, I think, will be the real test of whether that can uh, actually tilt an entire election in America or whether the uh, Trump's momentum will be... Uh, impossible to stop because I don't think there's going to be any uh, any action in between now and the election that can really rein in these tech companies or impose some level of control over them. Alan, what do they fear? You're one of these big tech companies. What are you worried about as far as as far as being I, regulated like this? Like, is there a law you fear? Is there a regulation? What are you worried about that will stop you from doing this? I think they're worried about having their legal privileges stripped away. In, 1990s, in the 1990s, they were given a special law that essentially uh, renders them almost immune from lawsuits uh, regarding the removal of content. Um, so if you get banned on one of these platforms for an arbitrary reason, you can't really take these companies to court and uh, get your account back because there's a special law preventing, uh, preventing you from doing that or at least making it nearly impossible for you to do that. So they fear that law, that privilege being taken away. And, you know, Republicans are looking at changing that. Uh, I think there was just a bill introduced in the Senate today to amend that. But uh, obviously, it's probably not going to get past the House because Democrat politicians believe that, believe that tech censorship helps them. They actually pressure the companies to censor even more. So, again, I'm not sure that's going to get passed before the election. Uh, they're also worried about, you know, tra- you know, transparency and having, you know, people actually monitoring what they're doing because that doesn't exist at the moment. Who are the Republicans we should be most worried about? The Republicans you should be most worried about. Yes. Which are well, the, I would, who are the Republicans taking big tech money and aren't signing on to going after these people? Well, I was quite uh, disappointed to see that Jim Jordan was taking money from uh, mm-hmm. from Google. I hope I, he, he did that last year. I certainly hope he doesn't do that uh, Next year, uh, I would watch out for Marco Rubio as well. Rubio has in the past uh, praised tech companies for taking down hate speech. Uh, I think people need to call him out on that. Ask him to. It was, this was a few years ago, and he's never clarified the comment. He needs to clarify that, and he needs to. Republican voters should make him um, actually go back on that uh, comment because I don't think that's in line with what the base wants. I don't think that, that's in line with what uh, American tech companies need to hear. They need to hear the opposite, that they should allow all First Amendment protected speech and give their users the power to filter content they don't like. Alan uh, Bacari, I gotta say, the, no, no, I'm sorry. We, we are just we were up against the break. Alan oh, Bakari, his book is deleted. Where can they get it real quick, brother? Uh, just go on the uh, Search for hashtag deleted big text battle to erase the Trump movement and steal the election. It's available on Barnes and Noble, uh, Amazon and other major retailers. Alan, appreciate you, brother. Thank you, Jesse. It's powerful. 2.6 billion users of Facebook and Twitter.
That is a lot of people. Trump won by 50,000 votes. something there's a podcast get it on demand wherever podcasts are found the jesse kelly show wake up and text text and eat Mm -mm. text and catch the bus text and miss your stop Wait, 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 wait text and be late to work sorry i'm late text and work Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. the Trump love today. It's not intentional, but there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff out there that I'm impressed with right now. My peace deal is impressive. Donald Trump, Chris Saliza with CNN, said Trump dropped 77 spots in the Forbes 400 this weekend. That's really, really cool. Don't get me wrong. I don't think people getting poorer is really cool. But do you know how many of these politicians get rich while in office making $165,000 a year? The Clintons didn't have two nickels to rub together when they got elected president. Chris, do a quick Google search of the Clinton net worth now. The Obamas, same thing. They didn't have any money. Wrote a couple crappy books. Filthy rich now. Millionaires. People get rich while in office, which is disgusting, but it is the norm. How rich are the Clintons? Hillary alone has a net worth of $120 million now. That's what happens when you get elected. Donald Trump is getting poorer. Giving up business interests. That speaks highly of the man. It does. That speaks extremely highly of the man. Kind of cool. You know what else is kind of cool, Chris? Rare, ugly duckling ginger seal pup may have to be rescued by biologists because it's shunned by its colony. And they have a picture of this seal pup that's this, you know, redhead. (laughs) This is awesome. All right. 
This is how we should be doing things here in America. What, Chris? We don't need gingers here. What do we need gingers for? No place in American society. Get them out now. <laughs> We're going to get so much hate. Oh, oh, we have new reviews. I almost forgot. And you can email me, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Again, I read them all. Won't respond? Get too many? I read them all. Feel free to send them. And you can leave a review. You can subscribe. Chris podcasts the show right after the show. You can subscribe on iTunes. Leave a five-star review. Leave a comment talking about how handsome I am. The podcast is also on Google, iHeart, Spotify, and so on. Our new reviews, Chris. Great show is the first one, of course. This is a great show. I really enjoy the history lessons at the beginning of the show. Jesse's able to break things down very well for those of us who aren't as highly educated as he is. (laughs) Oh, wait. I think they were being serious. This is a rare trade in the highly educated. I do have one question. Okay. I do have one question. Who's the doofus with the receding hairline in the picture? You know what? That's not nice. Okay, that's not nice. I'm 39. Buddy, I'm married. The hairline's receding. All right, life is slowly draining away from me. I'll be buzzing it down before you know it. I'm 39 today. I'll be 85 tomorrow. That's what it's like when you get married. That's one. Two. I'm assuming... The highly educated thing is a joke. Uh, I don't even have an associate's degree. I have less than three years of community college credits. If you're looking for education, you came to the wrong place. Next one, my new fave. This is my new favorite podcast. I'm in the process of listening to all the previous podcasts, and I absolutely love it. The history, the analysis, the humor is awesome. I appreciate you and your nice review. However, what? where's the discussion of how handsome I am? We need to get on this. Where's the discussion of how handsome I am? Come on now. Let's follow simple instructions. Headline, what a handsome devil. See, that's how it's done. Amazing how modest this great storyteller is considering how well-spoken and incredibly handsome he is. Hard to believe they make men like this. Now, this person has figured out how to leave a review, Chris. Can I leave my own reviews? That'd be sweet. Burgers. Mm-hmm. What did I tell you, people? Bro, I made the burgers. They were freaking awesome. My son ate five. I didn't think I was ever going to eat. Thanks for the recipe, and thanks for fighting the good fight. God bless you, and God bless America. Stay handsome, brother. <laughs> I told you people about the burgers. Am I not honest with you about my rampant deficiencies as a human being? I'm honest. I'm very honest about that. I know I'm a monster. I know the things I suck at. You're never going to hear me come on the radio and say, I'm great at dancing. I have a beautiful singing voice. When I tell you I'm bad at something, as I often do, I'm bad at it. When I tell you my burgers are the best you will ever eat, They are the best you will ever eat. Don't worry. I'll give out the recipe again. Four or five months. I figure every four or five months, Chris, we keep adding new cities. 
No big deal. Not to brag. like pills i don't like chemicals in general the solutions in general should be natural solutions shouldn't they do you really think do you really think that bottle of sleeping pills next to your bed is healthy for you i'm not judging you i've been there and i know what you're saying well i can't sleep otherwise no no that was before you can now go get an ebb sleep Put away that bottle of sleeping pills and get a Neb Sleep. It's a wearable device. It applies precise, continuous cooling to your forehead, putting you asleep faster, and more importantly, keeping you asleep. It is so nice to sleep all through the night now. Go find out what I'm experiencing. Go to tryeb.com slash jesse. That's tryeb.com slash jesse. Don't forget to use the promo code jesse. 25 bucks off. Chris, as you know, I have a vast, vast amount of experience in TV and radio. I've been doing this like two years, all right? I think I know what I'm doing by now. Reading compliments about me is probably my favorite part of the job, though. What? What? It's important, and it's healthy for the human mind to have some confidence. Sorry, everyone loves me, Chris. I mean, besides the feminists and, well, let's be honest, Italians, women, Okay, there's a lot of people who don't like me, but the Black Lives Matter people, also not big fans. Yes, I've received your death threats. I understand. Yes, you're angry. I, I get it. I get it. That'll show me. <laughs> you losers. <laughs> All right. We're going to have a lot of fun tomorrow. I'm going to try to finish Columbus tomorrow. No promises. I have no faith in myself. That's all. Kelly show. You don't have to dip forever. You know that, right? You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I, I've been that guy. I dipped for so long. And what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. Oh, that's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum sunflower seeds. I, I tried it all. 
It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, you get 10% off. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.